Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. What does a trained social worker do when she's faced with handling her own child's emotional issues? For Heather Chauvin, the answer was to look inside herself so she could model the behavior she wanted and then share what she learned. Now, Heather coaches parents on mindfulness for their children and themselves and hosts a regular podcast called Mom is in Control to help spread the word. In this episode, Heather will tell us how she built a business while parenting three sons, what she learned from battling and surviving stage four cancer along the way, and she'll share one very simple technique for deciding what you really want and progressively making that your reality. Today I'm speaking with Heather Chauvin, and she is the podcaster at Mom is in Control, and she also helps mothers deal with work and family life issues. Heather, how are you doing today? So excited to be here, David. Thank you. Now, I'm excited to meet you too. And actually, you know, you're doing a couple of different things. How do you introduce yourself? I, I typically say I am a soul-based parenting and women's leadership coach. Everyone loves to label everybody as something, and I'm like, ah, oh, if you have to call me something, yes, it's soul-based parenting and women's leadership coach. I like that. So tell me what you mean by soul-based, because that, that can mean different things to different folks. Very true. So... When I got into this work, my background, I used to be a social worker. And when you say social worker, everyone has their perception of what you do. But what I found is as I get into this work, when it comes to parenting, it's what do I really want? What am I craving? So it's not just about who should I be or how should I act as a parent? It's about what's that deep, deep desire that that part of me is craving, my soul, my spirit. So that's what I mean when I say soul-based parenting coach, because it's about helping parents align how they want to feel while they're parenting their children. That's interesting. And what attracted you specifically to working with parents? And do you focus more on mothers or with parents in general? It's typically women. And it was just out of my sheer exhaustion and misery of my own parenting journey and mixing the two of my background in mental health and raising three boys. And my oldest, who is now 12, almost 13, when he was about four years old, there was a huge, huge shift in his emotional health. And he started school and there was this anger and anxiety and these outbursts. And I thought to myself, okay, Heather, you have a degree in this. You have access to all of the resources you need and you still don't know how to solve this problem. I wonder how many other parents are having the same problem. And once I cracked open that door and started to lead and teach through my own need, that's when I realized there's a big gap here and and mainstream society is is not teaching this. That's um, I'm sure that's absolutely true. And it's it's particularly interesting since you're coming from a background of having studied it. You'd been trained in it, you've been educated. So theoretically you should have been prepared, but when theory meets the real world, sometimes there's a clash. 
There's always a clash. Because theory <laughs> is such a big, my brain does not think in theory, right? I'm always like, how can I make this practical? How can I make this practical? And I hear all the time is that's, that's the difference is I can take a very complex situation like meditation or mindfulness, which is how I got into this. How do I teach my child these mindfulness skills? And how can I break this down into an everyday tangible task so that my child can actually feel in control of their anger and anxiety? And that seems like a very complex issue. But what I've come to understand is that life is all about these just little tiny moments and making little tiny decisions that make a big impact in how we feel mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally in our lives and relationships and work. That is such an important thing to remember. Life can seem like this huge complex thing if you just look at the at the big picture. But when you break it down, everything is just this moment and then this next moment and then this next moment. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Just like yesterday when I, you know, decided to eat the chips at 10 o'clock at night. And and I was like, no, Heather, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, this is a choice, right? I have this choice. How do I get here from eating chips every single night? What if I didn't eat chips every single night? Then how would I feel? Then how would I look? Then what would manifest differently in my life? And that's just a perfect example of, of choices we can shift how we feel emotionally as well, but making a bigger impact in in the bigger picture of what we want. I think what happens is we look beyond and go, oh, it just feels all too overwhelming. And so we have to break it down into small, tangible action steps. And then, of course, let go of the choices that we've made yesterday that might have been eating those chips and not feeling guilty about that later, because that's a thing in the past. And right now we can make new choices. Exactly. Yeah. And too often we're holding on to the past, which is clouding the present and the future. And then so you're making these decisions in the present moment of like parenting from the past or living from the past. And then you're projecting this onto your children. And then it's just creating this crazy hamster wheel of, you know, a vicious cycle in your relationships. Yes, I can imagine. And so you have a mindfulness practice then. And it sounds to me like this is something that started after you started parenting, something that you came to as a result of some of the experiences you had. Yeah. So, and I say this with a huge laugh because I was determined to solve my son's problem. I was determined to figure it out. And I remember taking this weekend course in Asheville and it was called Sensational Meditations for children with Sarah Wood. I found her book in a little hippie bookshop and I was like, yes. And I don't know why, but I was attracted to teaching meditation to children. And so I was learning these concepts and then all weekend I was like, oh, oh, I guess I need to know how to meditate in order to teach (laughs) my child how to do this. And it was such a complex issue. But the thing is, we're just teaching our children how to remember right? Remember to be mindful. Remember to be present. We're the ones that aren't present. So when I went home, I would do little simple things like lay in bed with my son and we would read a book. And instead of reading the book, I would say, close your eyes and imagine, like imagine and visually see what's going on in the book without looking at the pictures. Tell me, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And so what's happening is he's more connected to himself, his sensations, you know, the smells, the see, touch, all of that. And when you as a human being are connected to these concepts in your being, these senses, 
you're more connected to how you want to feel. And so as I was developing these skills and teaching him these skills, I had this light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, geez, I can't teach you anything that I don't know or I'm not doing myself. So I can't scream across the room, stop yelling at me when I'm the one yelling, right? Why are you so angry? Meanwhile, I just need to be mirroring, like saying this to myself in a mirror and going, Heather, why are you so angry? So then that took me on this other whirlwind of parenting and personal development and asking myself, am I doing the work? Am I becoming the person that I want my children to become? And now I believe that is the greatest gift we can ever give to our children, which is teach what we want them to be. And it's about leadership and it's about guiding and becoming the person that you want those people around you to be. And so when I keep putting those little nitpicky things on myself, I'm like, Heather, is your bed made? Is your room clean? You know, are you doing this? Are you doing that? If the answer is no, then I am not giving myself permission to give that advice to anybody else. This must have been an amazing thing for your child to witness happening in your life. I'm really curious what that must have felt like, what you observed as you started integrating that process into your child rearing. The first thing that I noticed was freedom, like emotional freedom, because I didn't feel this guilt, this sense of failure, this sense of overwhelm. Because again, remember, I was going out there, I was seeking, I was talking to the doctors and everyone that I could possibly get, even all the spiritual things you could possibly think of. I'm like, anybody help me, help me, help me. I'm looking outside of myself for the answers, right? The feedback I was getting is Heather, it's just a phase or this too shall pass. And you know, he's doing this and this. And I'm like, I get it, but I feel like a failure. So the second I, I looked at my son and I said, okay, what do I want to help you with? Your anger, your anxiety, your stubbornness. You're this, you're this, you're this. And then I said, what part of that is alive within me? Now I got to work on my own stuff. I began to feel in control of it, which is why it's called mom is in control. It's not about controlling everybody else. It's about having the internal sense of freedom in your own being. And when you become this person, you can then teach and guide other people, not from a place of I need to fix you, but from a place of you're perfect just the way you are. But if you want to enhance your life, this is a different way of doing it. Oh, I like that. It, it, it's funny. I hadn't, when I heard the name Mama's in Control, which is the name of your podcast, it, it didn't resonate to me on both levels. But now I recognize you're talking about being in control of yourself so that you can help other people learn how to control. Because the feedback I was receiving from so many of my listeners was, Heather, I just want to feel in control of my life. And it's not so much just the parenting piece. It's money. It's time. It's energy. It's relationships. It's all aspects of their life. And I just want to be in control. I just want to be in control. I feel this internal sense of like going crazy and chaos and all of this. And I'm like, awesome. If we start at the core, if we start at the foundation and ask you, how do you want to feel in your life every day? How do you want to feel? I want to feel feedback. I typically get peaceful, content, happy. Awesome. You can't just say these things. <laughs> you can't just have a mantra and say, I want to be happy. I want to be peaceful. And then scream and yell at your children. You have to take action that's in alignment with how you want to feel. You have to do the work and ask yourself, what makes me happy? What gives me the essence of peace? And when we start to do that, it's like, oh, Chaos can be happening around us. The kids could be arguing and fighting. Things could be, you know, you get that unexpected bill in the mail. You're like, it's okay. I got this all because you're doing the work internally to reflect what's happening around you. 
And it sounds good, but it's a very difficult thing to implement again in real life. And I'm curious how, as you started practicing this yourself, how did you start bumping up against it and recognizing it and realizing that it was working? So one of the big, my biggest aha moment, my biggest lesson and challenge was almost four years ago when I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. So I was doing everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing as a woman, business owner, parent, wife, I was hustling. I was ambitious. I still am very ambitious. I'm just a completely different person. But on the outside, everyone's like, wow, you're awesome, Heather. You're awesome. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing it right. Right. I was going at it. What did I do? I put myself last on the totem pole. Like I was at the very bottom of my to-do list. And if anyone loves to-do lists, they know they don't all get it done. (laughs) So I was like, yep, I'll just take myself off. Let's put it at the bottom. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And what happened was my body, because I was so disconnected from myself at this time, I was helping other parents, you know, support their children's behavior, but we weren't really talking a lot about the woman, the mother, And how she felt, it was all about what can I do for my child? What can I do for my child? And so while I'm teaching this stuff, I'm completely disconnected from myself. I'm just, you know, being of service to everybody else, neglecting myself. And then I went to the, I went to Emerge because I was so, I was in so much pain and my abdomen was so swollen. They did a CT and blood work and on the spot told me I had cancer. So of course it was stage four and they're like, Heather, you don't have time. You have to completely surrender to this. And I remember I had to go through Western medicine, did not want to go through Western medicine because, you know, when you're in this holistic world, everyone thinks you can just visualize your tumors away. And I didn't have time for that because it was so rapid growing. So I had to surrender and accept help. But in that moment, in when I had nothing left to give, like I couldn't even pick up the phone to call my children. I would close my eyes and wake up 12 hours later. It was absolutely awful. So in that time, I would ask myself and I I was just I remember being so grateful for all the work and the personal development work that I've already done up to that point because I kept asking myself Heather how do you want to feel and I'm like I want to feel alive I want to feel connected and I want to feel full and then I started watching energies meaning people someone walks in the room and I could tell if they were looking at me like I was dead or if they were looking at me like you got this girl And I was like, okay, I want that positive person around me. The other people, they're not allowed to be here anymore because I could feel they were sucking the life out of me. And so as I slowly crawled my way back and recovered and re-nourished myself, I was paying very close attention to what lights me up and what brings me down. Who makes me feel good? Who doesn't make me feel good? The foods that I was eating, like observing how I would drink coffee and then for the whole day I'd have anxiety and then I wouldn't drink coffee and then I'd feel great the next day. And so just observing, oh, if I run, I feel amazing. My knees don't, but my mind does. My mind is more important (laughs) than my knees. And so I was just observing all these things. Oh, I don't yell at my children when I'm feeding my soul, when I'm actually asking myself, what do I need? So I started journaling and this is a great, simple, strategic action step. I take pen and paper and I go, what do I want? And every single thought that would come to my mind, I'd write down. So it'd say a bath, a cup of tea, a conversation with this friend, like a particular friend, a new outfit, a haircut, 
whatever it was, like little tangible things that would come to my mind. And I would take action. (laughs) This is another (laughs) mind blowing moment. I would take action on this list. So it wasn't that I just wrote it down. It was that I had to follow through with it. So whether it was that bath or that haircut, I had to make it happen. You know, if it was that conversation with that particular person, I would text them or pick up the phone and call them. And because I started doing these things, I noticed, oh my gosh, holy crap. If I actually write down these things that I want and follow through with them, I feel full. And when I feel full, I am a nicer human being to be around. And, oh, look, I, it's easy. It's easier. I'm making more money. I'm working less. And I feel more content in my mind and my body. My relationships have improved. Every aspect of my life have improved because I first ask myself, what do I want? And it might be something immediate and it might be a big goal. Like, you know, I want to travel to this certain place with my family. So then me and my husband have that conversation. But I I honor and give myself permission to want what I want now. And I don't procrastinate. I do procrastinate. But the point is, I know now that if I procrastinate on something that is going to make me feel better and move my life forward, I have to take action on it. Because if I don't, slowly, 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 that part of me that makes me me will just start to leave my body again. And in order to feel full and lead a meaningful life while we're running our businesses and raising our families and doing all of these crazy things, I got to honor that part of me that wants to feel alive. And so that's a long winded way of saying, how do we make this tangible? How do we, how do we really do it? That's brilliant. But I have to ask you because I've known people who've struggled with this and I've struggled with this myself. How long did it take you to get from the productive helping other people mindset to actually knowing what you wanted well enough to be able to write it down on a list? So that's a great question. And my first answer is I don't know, but I think it's, it's like anything else. It's practice because part of it is trusting yourself, like trusting what do I want in my life? And a lot of people first response they give me is I don't know. And so this is what I do. I'm sitting there painfully. I'm like, you do know what you want, but I don't know, or I can't figure it out. This is fear. This is your brain's way of trying to keep you safe. This is what it's been designed to do. And so I go, it doesn't need to make logical sense. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm writing a book right now. Okay. I have convinced myself that I am not a writer. I am not an author. This is why I love podcasting. (laughs) I can... (laughs) You could ask me all these questions and I could spew it out without thinking about it and you could transcribe it, make it into a book. And I would still say, I'm not a writer, I'm not an author. But if you said to me, you know, write on this topic, I would sit there and so one day I said, screw it. I'm gonna pretend that I know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna pretend. (laughs) And so I just sat there and I just let my fingers, every thought that came to my mind, just let it out. Wasn't spell checking it. Wasn't doing anything. Just let it out. Let it out. Let it out. And then I look back and I go, Heather, you're freaking brilliant. Look at the shit that just came out of you. And I copied and pasted it, put it on Facebook and the comments, like it brought me to tears. So when you say, Heather, how long did it take you to figure out what you wanted? And I say, I don't know, because I really don't. It was a, it was an experiment. It was a challenge. I'm going to pretend that these things that come to my mind, I want ice cream. I want 
to go for a bike ride. I want whatever, these random things that would pop into my head and I acted on them and then I felt better. They got bigger and bigger and bigger. So then I'd say, I want to make a million dollars in my business. I want to travel the world. I want, and I would get more courageous with my wants and my asks to myself. But I challenge you, David, that you do know what you want. It's just, we have to give ourselves permission to act on those crazy thoughts that pop into our head. Because oftentimes, especially women and men too, human beings in general, when I'm talking to a woman and she says yes to working with me, she will backpedal and go, I'm crazy. Why am I spending this money? I don't have time for this. And I go, of course you don't. Your mind is trying to keep you safe. You know, that that part of our brain that is conditioned, you know, the fight or flight response to go, no, 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 no. Like you are in danger right now. There's a lion coming towards you. This is overactive. And this is again, why I love meditation. But when you When you bypass that anxiety and that fear and that little tiny voice that says, go for it. Like it's so quiet. It's so quiet and it keeps coming up. You have to act on that instinct. And when you act on that instinct, I swear everything manifests and changes in your life. So I'm in, I'm always in a constant state of discomfort because I'm always doing and challenging myself, but I act on that little, little, little tiny voice. And I can only hear that when I'm being quiet. I believe you. And I believe what you're saying is true. (laughs) You make a very compelling argument and you've presented this in a way that I haven't heard before. I love the idea of listening to that voice and making little tiny lists of things that you want and letting that guide you so that you can start practicing knowing what you want and moving toward that in your life. And you don't need to believe it at first. You're not going to believe it at first, right? But just challenge yourself. It's a science experiment because really it is science. I am not science-minded person, so I'm not going to explain it to you right now. But the more I listen to like Bruce Lipton and epigenetics and quantum physics, I'm like, yeah, I can see how this stuff makes sense and how it is science. And the more you put out good vibes, the universe is like, oh, cool. She wants that. Okay, I'll give her more of it. Rather than I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You're going to get more of that. So When I'm in that mindset of like, oh, my life sucks. I can't do this. My children are awful. I have no money. I'm like, hey, let's just turn it around and see what happens. I have lots of money. My children are amazing. This book is so easy to write. And when I do that, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it is kind of easy. It's just my brain trying to keep me safe. (laughs) That's very cool. Tell me a little bit about the structure of what you're doing these days. Because, I mean, you're coaching, you're podcasting. What does your business look like? Yeah. So right now, my theme for this year is keep it simple in my own brain, because as entrepreneurs, creative entrepreneurs, you can have a million different ideas, right? So I looked in the past, what has worked, what hasn't worked. So I do a year long coaching program with women. It's called the mom is in control mastermind, but it's all about conscious leadership. Women come in because their pain point is either their children and Either their child has had some type of behavioral issue and they've done everything in their power and they can't figure it out. It might be another relationship, but in general, we're taking the woman all aspects of her life and we're saying, what do you want in your life? And the second she tells me she can't, I said, I didn't, I didn't ask you, you're not in therapy here. We don't need to figure out your childhood problems. I get it. 
What do you want in your life? If I could wave a magic wand, what do you want? And so the second she declares that, we create strategic action steps to make that happen. And then through our coaching, I hold her accountable and she's terrified, but we clear all those blocks and we get her out of the way and she makes things happen in her life. So I do the coaching program. I do podcasting, speaking here and there. But other than that, writing my book, and just continuing to build a sustainable mission where I'm not burning myself out because my health is number one in my life. Because if I am not healthy, nobody else is going to benefit from that. That makes sense. How is your health these days? I have to ask. Yeah, it's amazing. I went into remission while I was in treatment, while I was in chemo. Yeah, they say after about 10 months for the type I've had, if it hasn't come back, then I'm clear and good to go. And now I've I've taken my health into my own hands, taken back control of my own health. So I'm that person now that's not uber healthy, but just constantly being proactive and really studying the science behind cancer. And it's very interesting because I feel more empowered now than I ever did because there's so much fear around the word, the C word, as people will call it. And me, I, I just see it now as as an opportunity for growth. And when we're not living in the place of fear, I can look look at what used to scare me and say, oh, okay, cool. You're just, it's inflammation in the body or it's this or that. And everybody has their own journey and not everybody makes it out. Not everybody has the same prognosis. And I believe that I am here for a reason to live my full life. And I have time to educate other people. So I'm doing fabulous. And I'm every day just trying to make uncomfortable, conscious decisions to become the best version of myself. Because as you know, any human being knows it's very easy to fall back into old habits. So yeah, I'm just reminding myself every day that if I'm not putting myself first, shit can go sour really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, 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 it sounds like your mindfulness practice is playing right into your health practices. And the two of them are really complementing each other because you're consciously aware of how you're feeling and letting that guide your actions. Yeah. Yep. And always asking my body. When I say asking my body, just checking in with myself and going, all right, Heather, how do you feel? What do you need? Like we talked about today and making sure I'm acting on that. That's excellent. I'm actually curious whether you've attracted any coaching clients who are interested in the way that you've dealt with your health issues, maybe who are dealing with similar health issues. Yes. And I say, I'm like, hmm, interesting, because when I was diagnosed, I had a client whose husband had stage four cancer. Hmm. And so that was before I was diagnosed. So I found that very interesting. But a lot of people, not so much cancer directly, but a lot of people who I attract are burnt out and who are afraid of getting sick. And so they're seeing what is possible or what could happen if they don't turn things around now. So health is a big thing that I attract. I can imagine. So tell me a little bit about the structure of your business. So how, how are you organizing your days to be able to keep track of all of the different things you're doing? Yeah, so I think when you start a business, you're just like throwing noodles at the wall and seeing what sticks. And what has really worked for me is batching. I love batching. What I mean by batching is batching my clients or batching my time. Something I work in now and I've implemented into my own my own personal practice, but also in the coaching program that I offer my clients is called productivity sessions. And so we have like three hour gaps. And so I do these in my day too. So if I'm working, typically I'm working like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, 
Wednesdays and Fridays, I might take, you know, a few calls here or there. But other than that, those are like my family days or my days. And if I am working that day, it's like an hour or two, but I'll batch. So I'll have a productivity session. So I'm laser focused and I like to challenge myself If I want to open my computer for something to send that email or check my email a million times, I'll write it down on a piece of paper and then I can only get it done during my my productivity session, during my work time. That's just the way my brain works. Like I said, I like to batch things the way that I've set up my coaching program. My clients are not all over the place. So I have those those hours of times too, where they can just pop in, ask me, get some coaching, or we have that that one-on-one time as well. I'm also a huge advocate for morning routines. I will be up before my children typically doing some journaling, getting some clarity, doing a short meditation, maybe physical activity, making sure that I'm fed before I need to feed everybody else. And when I started this practice, like 99.9% of the women I talked to, they're like, but Heather, I don't have any energy. I can't do this. I need that extra sleep. What I realized was I didn't need the extra sleep. My body was actually trying to keep me safe. And my drug of choice was sleep. So my body was actually producing these additional hormones because I was so stressed out. And so my body always wanted to sleep to like keep me safe. So what I realized when I started implementing running and physical exercise and healthy food I was producing natural energy in my body. And they always say the first step is always the hardest to take. But once I started that habit, the morning routine completely changed my energy and focus and how I work and run my business. Wow. So as as somebody who also journals, I'm curious, do you ever go back and read your journals? Typically, no, because I can never find them. (laughs) (laughs) I always have too many on the go. I started buying like moleskin paper ones from Amazon. So I have like 20 and I can't find one. So then I open up another one. But sometimes I I do go back and they're just all over the place. They're not like all written. Some are just like notes and stuff. And I'm like, oh, Heather, sometimes I'll look, but I'm like, what were you thinking that day? And it's just crazy what your mind does do. But I typically don't go back and read too much. I was wondering if you had a formula for how you journal, like whether there's, you know, three gratitudes every day or some people have different patterns that they follow. I'm not a very routine person. Routine drives me crazy. When I go, oh, I have my morning routine, I have to change it up all the time. Like I can't wake up at this time every day and do this and this and this. Like I will go loopy. I I need that adventure in my life. So I just put pen to paper. And, you know, at first it was just writing, you know, stream of consciousness, the artist way. They talk about morning pages. Sometimes I'm doing that and then my brain will go to, this is pointless. I'm not getting anything from this. (laughs) So then I go to my want list. What do I want? Sometimes it's um, mind mapping in my journal. Mind mapping is more of like a visual, a visual vision board. So you're putting like a little circle in the middle, whatever your project is, and then you have little branches going out on it. So whatever my to-do list is, sometimes I just visually put that in a mind map so that I can visually see with circles and arrows and all of that fun stuff of what actions I need to take. So I don't really have any strategic journaling, but I will tell you that a good brain dump when you're overwhelmed you know, going, I don't, what was I doing? Oh my God, I don't know what I need to do. Get up from the computer, pen to paper, and just dump all your thoughts on paper. Go for a tiny walk, come back, and then look at what is on your mind. It's a great, great visual for helping you start to get into action mode. 
I can imagine. And it's actually a, a very strong argument for journaling on paper, since it's so convenient to be able to just throw in a mind map with something like that. Mm -hmm. Everything we do now is connected to technology, right? Like I've even said to my husband, here's my phone, here's my computer. Do not give it back to me until tomorrow morning. <laughs> and then when I really need to like do something, it's like pen to paper. There's magic behind it. Sure. We write down on that piece of paper, the thing that I want right now is my computer. And the next time you have access to it, you can fulfill that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So you've been doing coaching now for a while. I'm curious about your own experiences with coaching. Have you personally had coaches yourself? Oh, yes. I would not be here. I remember my first coach. Well, my middle son is seven. It's like eight years ago-ish. Mm -hmm. And I remember she had this little Facebook ad and she was talking about business and she was wearing ripped jeans. And I was like, yes, you're not wearing a suit. I want you as my business coach. And it was about being authentic to yourself. But I've had coach after coach and it's not just about business, personal development, whether it's nutrition or, you know, a running coach. I haven't actually been to therapy since I've hired coaches because I'm done talking about my problems. It's more about the accountability, the accountability, the planning, somebody who is holding the vision for you and believing in you when you don't yet believe in yourself. And I have gone leaps and bounds because of coaching. There's so many out there. There's like a lot of overwhelm. You have to figure out who's authentic and who's not. You'll be able to smell it from a mile away of people who are just trying to sell you their signature system. I'm not into signature systems because we're all unique human beings, right? Like genetically, we're all different. So there's no way that my way of being is going to work 100% for somebody else. But having a template and somebody who's willing to be flexible and help me create what works for me and go forward with that has been like has made all the difference. And in the coaching world, one thing that I really love and have subscribed to is community. I've never grown so much when I'm surrounding myself with people, women and men who are doing the same thing that I'm doing. Like recently, this whole book thing, I went to a, a writer's retreat two weeks ago. It was my first writer's retreat. And I was sitting there and I was like, at the end, they're like, Heather, what's your biggest aha moment? I'm like, we're all so messed up. I'm like, we're all, we're all having the same frustration with writing this book. And it was so refreshing when you're at home behind your computer going, oh, why can't I get this? And then realizing everyone else is here to cheer each other on and also support each other with this is what has worked for me. This is what hasn't. And learning from each other. There's something magical around surrounding yourself with people who have the same goals and aspirations that you do and who are just in the mindset of going for it and not hiding and allowing fear to consume their life. That's wonderful. And actually, one of the things I was going to ask you was whether you're involved with mastermind groups or other peers who are also doing the type of work that you're doing. Yes, many of them. When I first started, it was more traditional, like you're buying into a mastermind. And then now I've just, because I've been doing this for a while, I've I've attracted a lot of these people into my life. So a lot of my friends now are in similar industries and we're constantly, you know, creating these little little ecosystems of this person's holding me accountable to this, this person, we do this. And yeah, so they're, they're all over the place in my life. 
Yeah, that can be very supportive. Actually, I'd like you to, if you don't mind, let's go back to when you were starting this business because you were dealing with the emotional issues with your son and trying to figure out how to teach these things and you were starting a coaching business at the same time. I'm curious how you got that started in the first place. Did you pursue any particular training in order to become a coach? No. And I think the reason why I didn't is because I had my degree in social work and counseling. And so I felt qualified but I did learn a lot from the way that I was coached. So I utilized a lot of those tools and strategies, but also what I did was said, how would I want to be coached, right? Like, and then you kind of develop your own way of being. I find a lot of people go into these, like, if I don't have the certification, then I'm not qualified. And definitely people need education. You know, you can't just take a weekend course and say, you know, I can help you through this big financial situation when I got a million dollars worth of debt of my own, you know, how people do that. But you you just, you kind of do what you feel you're qualified to teach. And so as I have progressed, I feel I can teach more now than I could have eight years ago. I didn't take the certifications, but I remember my biggest mental block, and I think this is really important, was going from being paid a dollar per hour versus programs. So in traditional therapy, counseling world, it's, you know, $100 a session, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. And people would say, how much are you? I'm like, well, I don't pay per session. And the reason why I don't pay per session is because your life is not going to be transformed in one session. And if you are committed to one session or 10 sessions based on how much money that's going to cost, you're focused on the money and you're not focused on you and your end result. So I had to reprogram my belief system that I'm working with somebody until they're getting the result that they came to me for. So that might be three months, it might be six months. And now for me, it's in a year process because we're not just changing one aspect of their life, we're changing many aspects of their life. And for a lot of people, they're like, but I just want to talk to you once. And I'm like, then I'm not your person. So that was the biggest barrier that I had to overcome when I was first starting my business. And that caused me a lot of anxiety because I was like, why do I need to be so different? Why can't I just be like everybody else? But I really did not want to take people's money if they weren't 100% invested in the results and change that they wanted in their lives. And that's what I noticed was different about me and the next person who wanted to just, you know, talk to people. I'm like, I want people to change and I'm only willing to work with people who want change. It can be very hard to hold on to a stance like that when you're starting off a business, of course, because you do need to start getting clients in and start making money. And I'm curious, you know, if you didn't take training, how did you know how to structure your business around building a coaching practice? I think part of it was mentorship, like hiring the coaches that I did have, watching how they structured their business, and then just learning about, you know, whether it was Skype or Zoom or, well, there was no Zoom back then, but, you know, these technologies are constantly changing, but constantly re, like the podcast, I took a podcasting course. In the coaching, it was just like trial and error. <laughs> What's working for you today? Okay, we'll do a, a VIP day. What do you need? I will provide that, right? Going above and beyond, that's my thing too. It's always about what do you want and then I'm gonna give you tenfold the results, right? Because if I can give, 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 give to people and pay attention to what my clients need, not what my ego wants, but go, what are they struggling with? Okay, how can I structure that? So I just, I don't know. I figured this out myself. It was trial and error. So trial and error, how did you end up attracting clients in the first place? 
So in the beginning, I would do a lot of face-to-face workshops. That's a great way to make cash flow as well on the side where uh, whether it was I'm talking and I'm walking people through a process or I'm making things up and crapping my pants and hoping people show up, you do what you need to do to figure it out. So at the beginning, it was a lot of workshops, collaborations with other people, whether that's local or online. I did a few telesummits. Oh gosh, I've tried everything. Yeah, a lot of telesummits, interviews, you know, what can I give people? So now the podcast, the Mom is in Control podcast gives a lot of a lot of free content away and then people can find me through that, but also whether it's Facebook ads doing, you know, a free giveaway, but it's just give, give, give to people. And if they know, like, and trust you and you're giving great value and you don't have that scarcity mindset, they will come back to you and say, I've tried everything else. I think you're on to something. Let's have a conversation. So I'm always asking myself, how can I help the person in front of me with absolutely no intention of making a dollar off of them. Because when you're in this space of abundance, it will come back to you, whether it's from that person or somebody else, or you've just manifested a free something, it doesn't matter. So I'm like, how can I help the person in front of me? And that was how I attracted a lot of my clients as well, was at Facebook status. Hey guys, I'm starting this up. I'm doing a free meditation for kids in my own living room. Who wants to come? right? (laughs) They show up to my house. We meditate. The parents look at me like, what did you just do? I want to figure this out too. And I would ask them, what are you struggling with? And I would listen to them. I would write it down. Okay. If I can solve that problem for you, would you work with me? hundred percent. Awesome. Give me your credit card. Let's work together. (laughs) And it's all about listening, providing free services and building your community slowly. And that is the very painful part about building a business is you think they're going to come all at once and then your ego gets extremely bruised and dented and realizing that it's progress. Keep going, keep going. For me, it was all about keeping my ego in check and making sure that my fear wasn't consuming my life when I was just really, really scared. So one thing I've noticed about your business model, the podcast is a great tool in that you can put something out there for free and thousands and thousands of people can listen to it and you're multiplying your time. And you've been doing a lot of one-on-one coaching, but you also have a product out there where you are selling a course to teach parents how they can teach their children mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that, how your business is breaking down between the product side of things and the direct consulting side of things. Yeah, so Teach Your Kid to Meditate. You can go to teachyourkidtomeditate.com, but I created that program when I first got into online business. That weekend when I went to go teach or went to go learn about meditation and mindfulness for my son, I left feeling refreshed and kind of, okay, I get this, but I was really confused and I could see how people, again, would be in awe of the theory and then go home and go, but what do I do every day? So I created a model. I just wrote it down in my journal. Like, what would I do? How am I, you know, documenting my process of what am I actually doing with my son? Well, we're listening to a meditation and then we're having a discussion and then we might be doing some mindfulness activities. So I recorded my voice with the meditation. I wrote down the exact discussion questions we were having, and then I offered the exercises. So in the Teach Your Kid to Meditate course, it's press play, listen to, download this PDF, 
have these conversations with your kids and then do these activities. So there's no emotional thinking in there. Like just do it with your kids. It's a rinse and repeat process. So that is all plug and play. It's all available. It's all on autopilot. And then what I did, because people are like, well, I don't understand why I need this. I went out and interviewed 17 of the leading experts in mindfulness who have books and people I wanted to learn from. So when you go to teachyourkidtomeditate.com, right now you get 17 free interviews from these leading experts. And then after that, you will be lead into my sequence of If you want to take these concepts and implement it into your own life, then you can purchase my Teach Your Kid to Meditate program. So that's plug and play. I don't need to do anything with that. I've put it out into the world. And then so I'm just solely focused on on the coaching aspect of that. That's nice. And of course, you're also writing a book, which is another another plug and play kind of a thing. Once you've finished it, it'll be out there and it'll be helping people without your active engagement. Yes, and I'm using the law of consistency to write this book because I am a very all or nothing person where I want to hide in a cabin in the woods for a week and write this book and be angry and frustrated with myself and become a mad scientist. But I have decided because I have children and a full life, I don't like the word busy, I'm going to write 200 words a day. They do not need to be the 200 words that end up in the book but I just need to be consistent and create a consistent habit of writing and doing 200 words of day based on an idea that I have will not take me any more than 30 minutes. So if I can create this daily habit and just be consistent with it, that's how I'm going to write my book. And I don't have an end date for it yet. So it will get done eventually. <laughs> okay. And when it does, we'll add it to the show notes, I promise. Since you're writing a book, I'm curious what books you're reading and what books have influenced you to go in the direction that you've been following. I, I was never like a big reader of books, but the people who inspire me, like I will, I call them like my Bibles. You know, I can flip open any page and just get some inspiration from reading a paragraph. Dr. Shafali, she is magical in the world of conscious parenting. She's a game changer. She's been on Oprah. I interviewed her on my podcast. I just love how she talks about consciousness and learning about ourselves through the parenting process. She's not preachy. She's not like, it's my way. It's this philosophy. Those people who do that drive me nuts because I'm like, it doesn't work, right? (laughs) So Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, she talks a lot about vulnerability and the art of imperfection. And how you just need to go out there and do it anyways, even when people are booing you, because really the only person that should be cheering you on, the only person you need to worry about is yourself. If you believe in yourself, anything is possible and it's going to be uncomfortable and let it be messy and just fail forward. So I'm sure people who are listening to this are going to want to find out more about you. How can people find out more about what you're doing and get in touch? Yeah, so we're just redoing the website, but you can head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com. All my freebies, link to podcast, everything will be on there. Or check out the podcast, Mom Is In Control. Check that out on iTunes, Stitcher, all those other crazy places that people can listen to podcasts now. Yep. And that podcast is a lot of fun and you use some pretty colorful language in there. I do. It's explicit and people get so mad. I get hate mail all the time because they're like, <laughs> my kids were in the background and I'm like, earplugs, people, earplugs. It's explicit. <laughs> 
And I say this almost at the beginning of every show, but I throw an F-bomb or shit bomb in there when needed. Sometimes we need to get a little colorful when we're trying to create and talk about these big, complex issues. So if we're not real, you know, I've checked in with myself multiple times to say, should I just stop swearing? And the answer is always no, because then I feel like I'm not being true to myself. And who would I be if I'm not myself? And if it's not somebody's language, they're welcome to unsubscribe and to go find a cleaner version of what's in alignment with what they want. I think it's refreshing and your reality is messy. And there you are. And I'm authentically glad that my authentic self has had an opportunity to meet your authentic self today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Thank you, David. So thanks again for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.